Welcome to Adopting Zero Trust, an independent podcast that dives into the world of zero trust and tells the story of people who are adopting it. Throughout our series, we'll investigate why zero trust is becoming a critical concept for cybersecurity. Our hosts, Elliot Volkman and Neil Dennis, will have transparent and open conversations with the people driving modern security approaches forward while leaving vendor hype behind. It's time to remove implicit trust and buzzwords and get to the root of the movement. Hello and welcome to Adopting Zero Trust or AZT. I'm Elliot, your co-host, alongside with Neil, the true, true mouth of our podcast and conversation. Today, we're actually going to be able to dig into an area of Zero Trust that we have yet to be able to explore. I, I think we've referenced this before. Uh, in fact, I think it was from Chase, he recommended the focal point of this conversation. But today we have educator, practitioner, thought leader, Mr. George Finney, the author of Project Zero Trust. Thank you so much for being here, George. Really appreciate it. And, you know, having now read through your book on Project Zero Trust, this is going to obviously be the top of our list for something that we recommend. But that said, I'd love to learn a little bit more about your background and what led you to publishing this work. Well, first of all, you guys are so awesome for, for having me on your show. Thank you so much for, for, for bringing me on. I, I feel a little self-conscious. I, I actually just shaved off my beard. So I'm, I'm, I've been out bearded. So, you know, gosh, gosh, I am very self-conscious about my, my baby face here. No. So, wow. I, I, I've done so many different things in security and IT over the years. I, I started out in uh, telecommunications. I, I worked on people's fiber optic or uh, DSL lines before they even had fiber. I, I was a network engineer, was a, a self-taught Linux sysadmin, ran email servers and DNS servers and PHP all, all over the place. And, and after all of that, you know, just a huge advocate of, of, of open source, I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll go be a lawyer. So I, I got my law degree. That's the reason that I came to, to, to Southern Methodist University. I'm still here 20 years later. And I, I, I kind of worked my way up from the email room. And I'm now the CISO of the university. But I've gotten to, to be able to teach while I've been here, which was amazing. I, I, I love, you know, getting that energy from, from new students coming into security. Um, but also one of the things I've been able to do while I've been at SMU is is I've written a couple of books and uh, you, you you guys are are very familiar with 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 the latest one project zero trust just just such a fun you know project to to, to be able to come together I I, I, I don't want to I don't want to give any spoilers away but gosh it's it, it I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you all about wonderful so I will try not to provide too many spoilers. We can focus on like the chapter titles if that maybe helps a little bit. And I apologize if I don't want this to be demeaning, but the best way that I can position it is this like a cybersecurity zero trust themed fan fiction novel almost. And I mean that in like the nicest way possible because when all of the conversations that we had, all the previous episodes, no reference, you know, look at CISA and this and these very dry piece of material which are like the core framing of what zero trust is obviously we chatted with chase and some other folks that have influenced and shaped it but there is nothing really available at least that i've come across and maybe neil has but there's nothing that really lays the groundwork that explains zero trust in such a succinct and natural way that would actually occur in reality so like you're literally walking people through a triggering event for why a certain organization would implement zero trust and open the doors. And also just to go off on a tangent, I love the fact that instead of, so again, I'll, I'll crack the breach, the 
spoiler a little bit because it's right on like the first few pages, but it breaches the trigger event. But I love that you're creating a scenario where it's infosec and security team are not necessarily running around with their chicken, like their heads cut off like a chicken, but you're creating an atmosphere where good is going to come out of it. Like it is clearly a strategic push and there's some, you know, running around outside of that. Um, that said, I think it's a very realistic scenario. It's a conversation that we've seen, but it walks you through all these different elements and then it progresses just like the conversations that we've had in these episodes in the past. So that is all to say, I fully appreciate the context and the format you put this in. And I feel like as far as like a business oriented book, this is the kind of thing that, you know, other people in your shoes, the executive level for security roles who don't understand what zero trust is, this is exactly what they need. Some of them maybe will like create coloring books one day and simplify it. But like, this is such a good resource to really just walk you through like a day-to-day -day system, like the narratives that you clearly had to go through to like build this context. So my rambling aside, I'd love just your input on, you know, what was the groundwork for you to build this? What influenced and, you know, what, why did you decide to position it the way that you have? Yeah, so so I, I got this call out of the blue. I'd written several other cybersecurity books. You, you can see one, I guess, in the background. My book, Well Aware, it won the Book of the Year Award. Um, so, you know, I, I thought I was done writing books and I would, you know, you know, so Wiley calls out of the blue and says, hey, we want you to write a book on zero. And I, I, I almost said no, I, I like I didn't want to write anymore. I like I, I, I wanted to kind of focus in on, on, on some things. But, you know, I, I thought I'd be nice and helpful. And I'm like, hey, you know, do you guys know John Kinder? You know, I'll, I'll just text him for you. He, you know, he's been talking about writing a book. You guys could just go go do it and work it out. And they're like, yeah, we, we called John. He's too busy. And I'm texting, you know, John, what are you doing? And, you know, it turns out, he, you know, he was so generous. I, I, you know, he's, he's a good friend of mine. Um, and I, I wasn't going to write a, a, a book on Zero Trust without the blessing of the, the guy who kind of coined the term. And so, you know, it just kind of happened over the weekend. You know, they, you, they don't tell you this when you write a book, but even when the publisher comes to you and says, we want you to write a book, they still want you to put together like a business plan and a, like a proposal for, mm -hmm. you know, what, what you're going to write. And I'm like, you know what? I, I, I want to do something different, right? Because there's a lot of dry technical stuff out there, like you say. And, you know, I was really inspired by this other book. It's called The Phoenix Project. But if you're familiar with DevOps, Phoenix Project is like your Bible. And it's, it, and it is, it's, it's very similar. It's a story, it's a narrative, there are characters. And, you know, I, I think one of the, the, the big reasons why DevOps as a movement has taken off so much is in part because this book made it approachable. And, you know, Zero Trust has already taken off. I'm not like adding anything to the, to, to the narrative here, but to, to be able to tell a story and to, 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 to explain it in, in simple terms, I mean, he, he, I'm, I've been a security practitioner for, for a long time. And even me going through like NIST 800 207, sorry about that. Okay. Uh, e even with me as a security practitioner, like looking at NIST, you know, 800-207, I literally just don't know what that means, right? I'm, I'm reading it, you know, I'm, I'm, I've read it probably, you know, in double digits at least, and it's still really, really hard to, to get through, right? For Zero Trust to be successful, we've got to make it really a lot more approachable, right? It can't just be for us security nerds to, to get, right? Who needs to do zero trust? And this is part of what, what the publisher asks, right? Who's the audience for a book like this? And my, my answer is, you know, it's not just, you know, security practitioners. It's, it's people brand new, not just to security, but brand new to IT. 
right? They've got to play a role. You're, you're right. Executives, non-technical folks, CFOs or board members, they have to understand zero trust. And, and, I, and I think, you know, bringing all of that context together, there are so many folks in IT that need to understand how to do their part, how to play their role in zero trust. And so, you know, one of the things we, we, we tried to do was for each cha chapter, we have a kind of focus, right? Whether it's physical security or your ERP system or identity or cloud or DevOps or your SOC, all, all of those, right, you know, have their, their, their place. And there's some really specific things you can do to you know, to find and remove the trust relationships you have in, in, in all of those different digital systems. But but connecting those dots is, is, is really important. And, you know, I, I think one of the reasons why Zero Trust is so successful, right, we, we synthesize down all of our best practices in, in, in security down to two words. We almost made it too simple. And, and so, you know, again, telling that story, right, have, being able to be in someone's shoes and, and see yeah, I have that same problem. And, and, and to see a way forward to, to solve that, we, we've got to believe that we can be successful and security to be successful. Right? Yeah, I think there's kind of this wonderful thing I've learned in my, my career doing presentations in general, whether it's stuff like this, whether it's producing some kind of security content and then having to go brief on that content, government, private sector, public sector, doesn't really matter. The moment you can put some kind of personality behind it. And it's not just bullet points. It's obviously a lot more impactful and, and to your point is able to resonate with those who really matter. But so I think it's, it's a key approach to getting this to the masses. I think it's a wonderful approach and I'll be very crystal clear. I didn't read the entirety. Elliot, I know it was probably read it four or five times. I've, I've, I have the book somewhere over here in my stack of stuff. So I have gone through it. So I, I just haven't verbosely gone through. So I apologize in advance. But I like the model a lot. It's it's a lot of things that I think what I personally try to drive towards on presentation layer with any of the webinars that I'm creating for myself or any publications or anything like that up on stage. Bullet stink, getting to the heart of it, and actually putting personality behind it, and personifying the actual issues is what's impactful. It makes it easier to consume by a large degree, for sure. I, I've, I've got a solution for you, Neil. You, you, there is an audiobook. So, you know, you don't have to finish reading, just, just listen to it while you're, you know, walking the dog or whatever. And I, I'm, I'm, it, it, it is, by the way, the number one selling book in the world on Zero Trust right now. So, you know, not, not, not to oversell it, but we got one of the actors from The Walking Dead oh, that's to, cool. to, to be the narrator of the audiobook. I mean, so you talk about making I it approachable, it. making it interesting, making it cool, right? You know, it, you know, having a hook like that, like, Oh, well, I wasn't going to read that, but man, you know, let, let me just check it out because of the Walking Dead guy. I liked him. Wow. You, you know, again, making it approachable to, 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 to someone outside of security and it's not like, you know, we're, we're the normal like spooks and you can't talk to us. Like, I, you know, I, I think, yeah, breaking down those barriers and is, is huge when it comes to, to getting adoption. Yeah. Totally agree. And I hope you don't mind me jumping in on this, but I think the reality is like between Neil and I, so he is clearly tried and true practitioner he understands this space i'm you know i sit in like the content world i annoy people like neil and yourself to basically download information and build it into narratives so it's wonderful when technical people and people with your skill set can actually write narratives like this but this is usually what's missing in in the world so i fully appreciate it because people like myself who again do not understand the foundational elements of cybersecurity as a practitioner would. This is honestly, I am that persona. That's anyone who can really pick up the idea of zero trust. 
after reading this, it'll be super clear. It's just abundantly obvious that the narrative helps drive that clarity. Well, it's so true. I mean, a lot of the content that's out there today, frankly, is, is written by content writers that, that aren't necessarily security yeah. practitioners or specialists. And, you know, uh, you know, a lot of that marketing content comes from vendors. And, you know, uh, we, we all know vendors make the world go round, but, you know, uh, they, they necessarily focus their angle on that product. And, you know, I, I, honestly, like a lot of the conversations I have with other CISOs still today is, well, Zero Trust isn't a tool. Wait, hang on. Wait, I, I can't just buy this thing and make zero trust happen? Oh my gosh, like what? what? But, but really, I mean, I, I think that, that just shows how powerful marketing is. And, you know, you know, zero trust has become this big thing. And in, and in a way, we, we've really got, a, I, I think, some, some, some concrete uh, stuff behind all of the, the, the hype, really. So, so, you know, hopefully, you know, people can kind of start to see okay, it's not, a, it's not a tool, so what is it? It's a strategy, there's a methodology, there, there's a maturity model, you know, there, there philosophy or culture, right? A, a lot of aspects all come together. And, and yeah, you know, I, I think in a way, you know, we, we, we've got to be sensitive to the fact that, you know, there are a lot of new people in, in security and, and, you know, necessarily in marketing that, man, we, we can really help inform the conversation and, and, and make, you know, everything that we're doing today in marketing around zero trust that much better and more effective and, and more helpful at, at, at getting zero trust really adopted. Yeah, I think you hit on a good point, vendor hype. And that, that's kind of the impetus of last season was discussing a lot on pretty much every episode asking the same question, you know, what is it to you? You know, what is what is zero trust in general? And thankfully, even with, you know, we kind of had our first vendor on recently, and even with with them in particular, everybody is still thankfully for the most part in agreement as a consumer, it's not a plug and play solution. It's an ideology of an approach. And, you know, some people are very clinical and logical and, and can look at a NIST standard and be like, thank you very, very much. But those are usually not the people who are probably actually trying to get implementation done. They're the people who have been told to do the implementation. So the next step to get to that buy-in, I think is a wonderful product like your book in particular to help educate the masses <laughs> like how he keeps claiming he is uh, in that sense but uh, educate the people that need an easier approach to the construct and then when we get to the NIST stuff you know or whatever it ends up being whatever model you want to apply to it logically speaking at that point you know the 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 techies in the room can go through and read line by line and checkbox things right but i think to that point something like this the approachability of it was sorely missing nobody's really talked about now it hit this at the beginning Nobody's really approached the idea of how do you actually get buy-in for the people who don't truly understand what it is. You can go talk about it all day long. You can point pictures and, and, and URL links to people who say there's zero trust this and that. But until you can adequately explain in a very easy to grasp idea or at least show the scenarios in a story mode sensation, right? You're not going to find it easy to get buy-in at first. And I think that's why this is impactful to have this resource that you produced. It's, it's a good way to get that initial conversation going, tend to get it back down to the tech guys and gals in the room that are going to actually have to do it, right? Yeah. You know, I, I, I've had a lot of conversations both while I was writing the book as well as, you know, after it's come out. And it's fascinating to me to hear other CISOs that have gone through their their, their zero trust journeys and failed, right? And and it, it, there is a common denominator with, 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 with those stories and it all comes back down to, to 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 politics, to people, to culture, right? You know, it's it's 
you know, I, I'm, I'm the CISO, but, you know, I've got to go ask my, my infrastructure team to go do something, right? And, and there, there's that territoriality barrier, right? I, you know, I, I think, oh, oh my gosh, ha, you know, it, approaching it as a tool, you know, it, it is not going to work in that mode, right? It's not something that I can just tell my infrastructure team to go do. Instead, right, what we say Zero Trust is in the book is a strategy. And, and we kind of, okay, well, you know, you're, you're a CISO, what, what's the strategy about? And, and, you know, whether you're a general or whether you're, you know, a business owner, right, we, we have to have strategies for anything to be successful. But the reason that we have strategies is, is to get groups of people working together, collaborating in order to, uh, you know, achieve a, a common aim. Right, and and I, and I think that's that's you know what what I've been working on for the last several months has has been, you know, how do we, you know, I mean, I, I think the most important part of zero trust is actually the people that, that that have to go do it, and you know, losing sight of that, you know, thinking about architectures and all of these you know abstract concepts, right, misses the point that it's the humans that have to go actually do the work. Right. And, and maybe there's automation and maybe, you know, you know, you, but guess, guess who configures that automation? Guess who configures the, the, the devices who builds those tools? It's still people. And, you know, again, I think, you know, as a, as, as a leader, we've got to find ways to, to, to break down barriers, to, to eliminate silos. And Zero Trust is an amazing rallying cry, if you will, for this is how we're going to do it. And, and again, it's, it's simple enough, I think, to get everybody on the same page. But, you know, we've, you know, we, we've got to kind of sift through that and, and, and make sure, you know, people feel like it's approachable and, and, and feel like they, they, they can play a role and, and want to play a role in, 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 a, in a team that, that they feel welcomed in, right? That, all of those things about team building, you, you've got to think about in the context of, of, of Zero Trust. Yeah, and I, I think you kind of hit at the beginning of that a little bit on some sensitive nuggets, you know, people doing things but not reaching fruition or some kind of stable point to grow. There was, I'm, I know I'm not going to get the right numbers, but Gartner has their own research that they've done around this recently. And some 60, 70, whatever percent of companies have a zero trust strategy or at least an idea. But more than half of them by Gartner standards have failed or are failing miserably in this this effort. And taking into account this and, and, and what's really involved in that. You also mentioned some of the approachability, some of the leadership struggles, some of the applicability of getting all hands bought into the idea. Right. And from my experience, I think to that point that that, that is what's really is ends up missing. You know, I'm I kind of poked at the tech guys going line by line because that's really that that's more often not me, but no matter how well I understand it or how well I want to do it, it doesn't do me any good if the rest of the team's like, whoop de doo I don't understand this. Why do I want to invest, right? Whether that's me getting the other team to try to do work, but they're still only doing it because I'm telling them they're not bought in, or whether it's leadership that just gave me a couple hundred grand to try something, but they still don't get the idea, right? Buy-in, top-down, bottom-up, whatever way you need to start it, find a way to do it. And then the approachability factor. If you're not on board in the right structure and don't have the right requirements in play that everybody agrees on, or at least loosely, good luck. You know, yeah. So approachability is key to that buy-in phase for sure. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I think you know, I want to be sensitive, you know, particularly now, right, with the, with the economy kind of still in, in you know, lim not limbo, but still struggling, right? There's a lot of layoffs been announced in the last month or so. You know, folks are still concerned, I think, about the economy. You know, we're, we're worried about budgets and, you know, it feels like security teams are maybe relatively safe these days. But, Right. And again, in, in terms of adoption of zero trust, 
right? The, the, the reason that we do zero trust is it, it, it's as a strategy focuses on prevention. Right. Prevention as a as, as a strategy, you know, uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Um, there have been studies around zero trust that show that it's uh, that it's it's 10 times as cost effective. Right. You know, or, or if you wait until a breach, right, to say it the other way, it's 10 times more expensive. So, you know, when we're thinking about, you know, being responsible stewards of our organization's funds, right, investing in zero trust really does have long term payoffs. Um, and it, it can, I think, help address some of these other issues that we're seeing with, with pressures around the economy, right? I, I think it is maybe the only strategy that, that we have in, in the security industry that, that can achieve that. Yeah. So you keep seeing me like, I'm taking notes so I can remember to come back to certain things, love tech and, you know, phone things. But that being said, you know, really quick things. Prevention is key, obviously, definitely. And, and I think question being for you, I kind of, I think we brought this up in the last couple of, of guess and some other things. Maybe I'm conflating some other stuff I've done recently, but long and short, defense in depth strategy. Do you see, uh, and a quick curiosity question, do you see this as a natural growth curve for that that original thing that we've been talking about for over 10 years, defense in depth, security should be an onion, blah, 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 blah. Do you see this as the next step or as a key strategic replacement or a value prop add to defense in depth mentality? Oh, okay. You didn't know you were going to get me on my soapbox, but I've had this argument about defense in depth, right? So zero trust is a strategy. You know, with any strategy, you can have tactics underneath that strategy to help achieve your aims. So, you know, the question comes up, right? Okay, what is defense in depth? Is it, is it really a strategy or is it a tactic? So I've had this debate with other CISOs and, you know, I think if, if you do think that uh, defense in depth is a strategy, right? You know, a strategy has two things. It's, you know, you have to have a, a goal and you have to have a plan on how to reach that goal. So with, with defense in depth, it, it gives it away in the name, you know, that it's, that's the plan, right? The, the plan is to have layers. Um, the goal for defense in depth is, is a little murky, but essentially, you know, it, uh, the goal of defense in depth is to to be able to cover failure states of your layers of security, right? You have to assume that those those layers are, are, are failing. So the goal of, of, of defense in depth, if you will, is not to prevent or contain breaches. It, it, the, the, the goal of defense in depth is, is to control failure states in your security controls themselves. And, and hopefully maybe that, that, you know, that will address your, your, your breaches, but there, there's no guarantee. And, you know, the, the, the challenge with the onion example and, and, you know, other people make fun of defense in depth, they call it expense in depth, right? <laughs> so in, in terms of, you know, a success for, for measuring whether your defense in depth, if you want to call it that is successful, right? How do you know when it's when it's, it's really, really hard to measure. So, you know, as a strategy, it's actually a, a less effective strategy for, 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 you know, for preventing or containing breaches cause of that, that bloat, right? And I think that's one of the, 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 the criticisms of security. And, and that's the first question my CIO asked me when he, when he started was, well, how do we know when we're done? How do we know when we've done enough? Um, and it's, well, let me do some, you know, touchy feely, you know, risk calculations and see, you know, how, how we, or, you know, can we quantify risk? Well, not really. So, you know, you get into those arguments. And I think, you know, again, people, you know, leaders, you know, boards of directors want to invest in security today, right? You know, it, it, those conversations are, have gotten really easy when you're talking to the board. It's, hey, we, we want to be more effective. How do we do it? What's your strategy? And, you know, again, there, there's still skepticism around like, 
okay, why are we just doing, you know, throwing money at the problem? What, how, how do we actually get successful? And I think that's the difference. You know, you, you might still have a, a, a tactic of defense in depth uh, for any given protect surface that you have, you know, within your overall your zero trust. I think it's, it, it fits in, 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 in the scheme of things. I think it's a stretch to think of it as, as, as a strategy. And I, and, and I actually would challenge ourselves to think about all of the other things, the concepts and practices in, uh, in security that we passed off as real strategies, because I don't think they actually live up to the metric of uh, of being a real strategy, right? Are they measurable? You know, do, do you have a plan and a goal? So, so you know, really basic things. But gosh, I, I, I you know, I, I, I kind of fall on the, the the line that the defense in depth is not actually a strategy. No, oh, awesome, well spoke. So I, I think it's kind of a fun take because, or a good solid take on the construct here. So I, I've heard back and forth and even kind of conceptualized a little bit like as a growth phase. I, I first off, I do agree. I think it's more of a tactic than it is a strategy as a whole, depending on how you apply it. I guess it can, to your point, goes both ways, depending on how much money you have. Really, But I guess my, my military brain takes it up an echelon from what defense and death means and or the applicability around this for me. And we're never going to secure the human ever, not fully, no matter what we do, but we can secure the things that the human has access to within reason, especially with zero trust mentality. So. You know, people are going to always click on things. People are always going to answer a phone and, and give a password to something they shouldn't give a password to. But when we start thinking about the approach from a strategy perspective of zero trust, then we lock down the things in that mentality that they have access to, hopefully. So I give you a PDF or you compromise a PDF off my desktop with whatever PII proprietary data. And if you've got the right applicability around zero trust, in theory, you know, just because you download it from here to China, you probably shouldn't be able to open it, right? Without some exhaustive measures. So basic fundamental nature. And I think taking defense in depth in that same vein, you know, we, we've always worked on, they always say that that OPSEC training is the number one prevention for getting dumb things done on your network. I still agree with that, but it's still like one of the last numbers I saw, it's still some 18, 20% of people either A, just click through it and don't care, or still click on stuff even after, right, on the basics. And taking strategy, defense, and death, having all the expensive things, but then applying some ZTA mentality to it and, and understanding the human sucks, but the tech behind the human can help make sure that they don't do stupid things. And when they do do stupid things, then that output is mitigated to some extent, right? Hopefully. <laughs> so the control failures and, and what happens after I give them my password via Outlook phishing. <laughs> You, you know, yeah, yeah. I, th I think the, the 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 human part of it is 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 a real challenge, right? And and that's you know what, what you know what what we talked about in the book is, gosh, you know, we 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 don't trust computers, right? We don't trust packets, and there there is this you know anthropomorphization of of, of computers to. To, to just, you know, get, oh, it's George's packets, it's George's network, it's George's computer. Let's just, let's let that be the, 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 the same level of, uh, you know, trust that we give to, to the human George, because George is a great guy. He, he writes really great books, you should go out and buy them. But, you know, you know I, I think that, you know, again, as, as a team, right, we've got to rely on one another to, to do our jobs. In that sense, we trust one another, but, we, you know, we don't trust packets. And, and you know, I, I think that that you know is is kind of a common 
thing that, that, that humans do is, you know, we, we, you know, we, we name our cars. <laughs> I mean, you know, so, so, okay, cool. You know, how do we get out of that mode with, 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 with computers and technology, right? You know, it's, it's, I think it's 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 definitely a discipline, right? It's a practice of of, of you know kind of kind of always following that that same north star, if you will, of of zero. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Is the internet was originally built on on implied trust of everything's good, right? Uh, you talk about some of the things you've worked on in the day, PHP and other fun stuff, boards, all the fun stuff, DNS. We always we see the big failures in that still daily. Thank you, BGP. But I think it's kind of a fun application with 2.0 versions and the way things are going and, and understanding that there's always someone trying to do something malicious, always. That's never going to go away. So long as countries are still butting heads or as long as someone's upset in their own country, stuff's going to happen, right? And I think for me, the big piece of this is too many people operate like you kind of alliterated to under the idea that, you know, my stuff is my stuff and my stuff is always secure because you know me and like me or whatever that may be, whatever that relationship may be. And working in the security side of the house for as long as I have, you know, I've, I've been both part of trying to consume things as well as being targeted for consumption and espionage stuff. So it's just kind of how the flow works for me. You know, you write one article about Uyghurs in China, and next thing you know, you've got 5,000 spam things trying to get into your box, but it is what it is. So people know me as a personality, I'm pretty secure. I have really good standards and methodologies for what I do on a daily basis. I for the most part, can spot a lot of the bad things that are in my box. But it doesn't mean I'm going to always be that good. Or it doesn't mean that there's not going to be some kind of zero-day vulnerability on my box or whatever I'm working off of that someone else takes account, you know, takes advantage of. So, you know, that that implied trust layer of the person and all that stuff. So I think round, you know, talking in circle a little bit, I think for me that that's the big deal. Can't secure the human even when the human is someone who should be most secure in the environment based off of their knowledge. Never truly going to happen. But working down at that more tactical, technical level, thinking about what that looks like for me from the bottom up of what they have access to, where they're doing their work, what things they have access to. And that's that's what drives me with the zero trust mentality. I'm never going to be 100 percent secure, but at least I know if I F up and do something ignorant, my documents have a good chance of not being compromised in theory. <laughs> well, you, you know, and so my last book was called Well Aware. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a diff very different book than, than Project Zero Trust. So it, it, my, my, my elevator pitch is it's Stephen Covey's Seven Habits for Cybersecurity. So, uh, we, you know, we called it Well Aware because, you know, uh, we, we, we didn't want to get sued. And, and if we would have called it, you know, uh, the, the nine cybersecurity habits of highly effective security people. But it's true, right? You know, even the best security practitioners... Um, even cyber criminals don't have perfect offset, right? So, uh, you know, the, the idea with, with the book, and I've actually created a cyber personality test. So you, you can check that out on my website, wellawaresecurity.com. But the idea is there are nine cybersecurity habits. And we know from, so I, I, I did like a super deep dive into uh, psychology and neuroscience for the, for the book. And as it turns out, Right, fifty percent of all of the behaviors that that we do every day are based in habits. Right, we're essentially on autopilot. We're not thinking about them at all. And okay, so if fifty percent of our behaviors are habits, that's 
that's a really big deal. And we're missing that entirely when, when, when we're in conversations about security training or awareness or whatever. But also, right, we have this expectation that humans are going to be perfect everything, right? That's, that's not going to happen. Michael Jordan wasn't a perfect basketball player. Okay, so how do we improve? Well, when, when you work with coaches and any, anytime, you know, leadership coaches or, or, you know, strength trainers or whatever, they will tell you, right, focus on your strengths. What are your natural uh, gifts? And let's let's build those up and build a team around you that can help support you. So that's what that's what the cyber personality test does. It helps you identify your your, your strengths, and from there you can improve, right? So we also know from from neuroscience that habits work like a muscle. So they can get tired, right? You know, it, when when you're stressed out or whatever. But that also means that they can get stronger. So we can improve, um, and and the fastest way to improve is is actually to start building. That identity as someone that 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 believes that insecurity that thinks you can make a difference, and then focus on whatever your natural given gifts are. So you know, again, not everybody is is, is a skeptic. There there's some folks out there that, that 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 you know think of themselves as being gullible, and that's okay. You have other, and, and I think you know, build. You know, we also come together as a as a social animal for mutual protection, right? So you know, bringing together a group that can help represent all of the different nine habits. When you're forming a team, when you're form, you know, kicking off a project, right? Thinking about those things in advance can help, you know, for lack of a better term, lubricate, you know, the human interactions. And, and hopefully we all can collectively be getting better. And I think that's how we measure our success in security, right? It's not that, you know, did we get hacked or not? It's how did we respond? Did, did we bury our head in the sand? Or, you know, did we think about how to iterate and, and, and be constantly improving? Yeah, I think that's also a good reference around the tribe of hackers mentality and uh, that flow of favorites there. But no, those are good things, you know, community involvement, collective defense. So I, I work with a lot of sharing communities today and have for a while been in some, been part of whatever, you know, that sums up for me. But the collective defense mentality, the whole point behind it to your, to your point, you know, one of us is not as good as all of us potentially, as long as we're willing to work together. And I think that's, that, that is definitely very big and impactful. And then kind of flipping back to the book a little bit here, you know, the steps that you take in the book and the different mentalities and approach in the book, I, I think that that's indicative of that thought flow and, and how, you know, there's echelons and layers of people's approaches to things. And then on the same vein as an Intel analyst by trade, I'm never the smartest person in the room. The room is the smartest person, the whole group of people that we can get yeah, together to discuss yeah. an idea. And knowing that, you know, I need to do this more often probably, but shut your mouth and let other people talk. You can learn something as well as maybe help figure out a new way to move the product forward or the, the problem forward. So for sure. Well, de definitely the biggest lesson I learned was, was being able to work with, with John Kinderbag on, on the book, right? So he, he wrote the foreword and, and, and shared basically all of his notes uh, to, to help kind of inform the, the, the case study, essentially, we, we, we wrote. And I, I think the, the, the biggest eye-opener for, for me was thinking about, you know, security for an organization, not as a monolithic thing, but, you know, as, you know, something, you know, kind of, you know, you, you're focusing on, 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 you know, the things that you're trying to protect, right? And, and, and what Kindervide calls those are protect surfaces, to contrast with the other thing out there that's a total lie, which is the attack surface. So there's a whole category of products out there, right? They're, they're, it's called attack surface management as though that's something that you can do, or you know, somehow if we can shrink our attack surface, um, then magically we'll be more secure. And you know, the reality is we can't 
shrink the attack surface, right? The attack surface is every device in, in, in the world. And instead, right, focusing on those things that you can control, aka a protect surface, right? Think about that and, and think about the controls you wrap around it, right? So that's that's one of the other things I'd, I'd contrast with, with a defense in depth approach is, you know, is again, that's more of a monolithic pro approach. Like let's have a lot of layers just, you know, floating around and, and not knowing really where the, the heart of the onion is, so to speak. So with a protect surface, you know, it, it's like, you know, you know, getting a custom tailored suit specifically for, you know, that one you know, part of the business that you really care about. So letting the business drive you and, and tell you what's important, you know, whether that's a business impact assessment or, or something else along those lines, right? You know, what's, what's, you know, what's the one system that's going to cost me a million dollars a minute, you know, for every minute that it's down? Okay, let's focus on that. You know, let, now let's wrap custom controls around that. And there are other things, you know, again, physical security, great, you know, great thing that I, I think a lot of CISOs don't necessarily think about because maybe they don't own it. Maybe there's, you know, corporate security that, that handles that. Maybe, you know, you're, 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 you have a, a commercial real estate, you know, you know, agreements and they handle the, the security for you for card readers and maybe you don't have cameras. So, you know, again, thinking about those things that, that are core to your business that are, that are important to you, those things can vary widely between organizations and industries, right? So, you know, understanding, you know, what your business is, who, who the people are in the business, what, how you can bring in all those things together, man, that, that it, it, it just, Again, like it, it's kind of like you know when you put on a tailored suit for the first time, you're like, "Whoa, wow! My my, my butt looks really good in this, right?" That that's how we should feel about security. So, you know, that's a good analogy. That so you're you're kind of touching base on something that me isn't Intel. This is getting into my soapbox area a little bit here. And thank you for using that reference point because I've used that on so many webinars. And since we're my company now is global. It's really only term that resonates here in the States, apparently. So I had to kind of reframe my, my statements a little bit. But on my soapbox, so to speak, you talk about business risk management, business risk requirements, right? Mm -hmm. And and I, I wholeheartedly resonate with this mentality. You protect service versus attack service. You only have so much money. There's only so much resources as a whole. And too many people either starting up a security endeavor, whether it's physical or digital, fraud, whatever those may be, too many people think that they've got to secure everything or they've got to account for everything and they don't do a good job at setting requirements hmm. as day one. Maybe oh, eventually yeah. they come oh, back yeah. to it. So the Intel analyst in me harps on this daily, literally, whether it's at my nine to five or offline with the people I help consult with. And if you don't have requirements, I don't care if you, whether they're Intel requirements, whatever they are, there's got to be some kind of legit paper trail requirements on something somewhere to get started spending money. And the best place for an Intel for me is obviously Intel requirements, mapping that out. But me as an Intel analyst, my personal goals should always be to be an intermediary between the entire security org, which is my customer base, not just the SOC. But if you've got security something, I should be helping you do something with that. More importantly, getting those requirements from you, turning them into things that I can map out to the strategic side of the house. So those business risk management requirements and everything else like that. And to what you mentioned, I, I love it. What's going to take us, what's going to cost us the most if it goes down? I don't care how secure you think it is, but that is the thing you need to make sure is secure. That's the thing you need to spend money on making sure it's secure. And if it goes down, figure out how to bring it back up the quickest, right? So we see this in the OT side of the house a lot because they understand the idea that if I lose a substation, I lose millions of dollars and all this other fun stuff. 
But if I lose a corporate server with a bunch of spreadsheets on it, not as impactful for me getting my clients, spinning what that is. So flip the paradigm around IT world, you know, there's not enough focus on the actual protect surface and what that means. Too many people fixate on the larger things that don't matter and spend money where they shouldn't spend money. So my thing, requirements, map it out to the business risk things that are coming down from the C-suite or whoever owns that responsibility, figure out what costs the most and, and if it's there or not. And then I think you can start micromanaging it down. You understand what's going to cost you the most, where you need to protect. And then you can start doing the attack service mentality on that key aspect. So if it's a larger network of things, a larger server cluster, work your way down and figure out things like miter attack fingerprints and stuff like that for all that stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, for me, my big deal, get the right requirements, get the right money. If you find you can't fill all the requirements that the business leadership says you have to, they better give you more money or sign off on the fact that they can't. And then you're not going to get fired as a system when things get breached, hopefully. <laughs> well, you know, I'll cross my fingers, but no. So, so you know, you, you, you jogged my, my mind a little bit. So if, if you only read one book this year, obviously read Project Zero Trust. If you read two books this year, I, I really love Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why. And I mean, again, it's, it's implied in the name. There's like a quick five minute YouTube video that he does that explains the concept of starting with why and, and, and why that's so powerful. But, you know, I, I, I've talked to some folks you know, who have been, you know, doing zero trust implementations and, you know, I, they'll explain their situation to me. And I'm like, well, hang on, wait, 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 why are you doing this? Like, what, what's the business case for connecting this site to site VPN with one of your partners, right? Cool. You should know this, you know, but generally speaking, as an IT administrator, right? They're like, oh, wow. Yeah, I had no idea. My boss just told me to go do it. And I, I, I don't know what we're protecting, right? I don't know if it's for, you know, a, you know, an accounting backend system. I don't know if there's some sort of greater partnership where, you know, we should let other traffic through, right? How do you, how do you know all of those things um, if you haven't started with, with understanding basic requirements, right? Start with why and, and, and go from there, right? Let, let that be your guiding principle. So powerful. But yeah, it's, I, I've had those conversations for years about, hey, well, what are your requirements for this, for this project? And, you know, IT people will look at me with blank stares like, I, I can't, I don't know. I can't give that to you. Why, why do you need to know this? So you can't just do, do, do a firewall, right? Just, just get it done. No, no, I mean, <laughs> there, there, there's the whole context of, 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 of why we want to do something in order to do uh, a good job. And I, and I think that's really missing from a lot of the, uh, the, the conversations we have. No, that's a good reference point. I'm going to go look at that book personally, see where it goes. And then shameless plug for some other people out there in the Intel world. There's there's some wonderful good Intel groups to look into for doing requirements from an Intel perspective. So there's a wonderful conglomerate over in Euroland that's kind of international called FIRST. So look into what they're doing, look at how they're doing things for those who are asking the question about Intel requirements and how that plays into the larger thing like business requirements and all this other fun stuff. So. Oh man, I just wanted to find an excuse to slide in there. So we were joking around for my day job, like trying to build scenarios around continuity plans and like these outlandish things just to like stretch people's imagination. And as soon as you were like talking about requirements, I was like, so I guess you wouldn't have an excuse to put in a, an alien abduction would take over your team and you know, you can't really do that. But I just love like the fact that, yeah, you can absolutely look at situations like here in Charleston we absolutely have hurricanes and tornadoes and weather events, which could impact it, but somewhere in the middle of the country, maybe not so much. You don't have to worry about flood and having like continuity plans like that. But, you know, you can imagine a hundred different scenarios. And again, just kind of tying back, having threat intelligence and 
business plans to correlate to like how impactful this is, how reality will actually mix into this is a pretty critical. So again, I just want to make an alien abduction sidetrack for absolutely no reason, but <laughs> otherwise to agree. So pivoting a little bit, a couple of things that I picked up out of this, and I will say without obvious spoilers, but George, you've definitely highlighted quite a few elements that you know, I picked up through this book. One of the things that I think we picked up from a previous conversation, I think with Maureen on another episode, and she focused on like business development and building like conversations for organizations who are just trying to start adopting Zero Trust. Um, and I, I forget the term, but it's basically a committee. And that's one of these elements that we see throughout this is like right out the gate, they're building this small internal group that focuses on, you know, building the framework for internal strategy and all that. You know, how critical is something like that to adoption? And I'll kind of uh, segue back towards some of the other points that Neil had mentioned about adoption in general. Yeah, so you know, th there's a whole chapter dedicated to culture as it relates to zero trust, right? So one, one of the things we did for the book is I've got little stickers that says Project Zero Trust made, and you know, we'll, we'll hand them out when I do book signings. But that's actually in the book. You know, we, we, had, we, we have these teams that were developed around zero trust, right? So you've got the ERP zero trust team, or you've got the identity zero trust team, and they, they, they create their own stickers for the teams themselves, right? You know, IT guys really love, and girls really love, you know, laptop stickers. Um, and so, okay, cool. Let's let's let, let, let's you know identify you know our our, our small team, you know, our tiger team that, that goes out and and protects protects surface whatever it is with with a sticker. Let's let's create that identity. Let, let, let's let's build our mission around that. I think that that can really you know kind of you know you don't have to do stickers, right? Whatever works for your organization. But you know I, I think building that momentum. Um, is, is incredibly important, right? Feeling like you're making progress, you know, having concrete things that, that you've done. And, you know, for identity, right? You know, everybody says that an identity and access governance group is really important, especially if you get into larger organizations, right? You may have segmented governance organizations. So, you know, you might have your ISAC for security. You might have general IT, you know, governance or leadership. You might have a change advisory board or an architecture review board, right? All of those things, you know, I mean, you, you have a tendency in organizations to get siloed. And I think bringing, you know, that back and having a a cross-functional team to break down those silos is, is incredibly important for, for your long-term success. If you have a smaller organization, maybe you don't have, you know, 10 different, you know, governance groups, maybe you just, just have one. But again, bring your, your business stakeholders to, to that group, right? They, they've got to be playing a role at, at, at some level, for sure. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Neil. I was going to make fun of your sticker wall before you talk. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. All right. So for our folks that actually watch this, most people do actually listen to our episodes. But Neil has this lovely background behind him that says Adopting Zero Trust. And collectively, every episode, there are new stickers that show up there. I sent him a batch of these terrible Zero Trust stickers. So those are kind of appearing. <laughs> it is a snake biting itself. I don't remember what the background was. Anyways, yeah, I'll, I'll just add that out there. Anyways, Neil, off to you. I apologize. Oh, you're good. No, it's all good. I, I think, you know, cultural adoption, you know, we talk about buy-in and earlier on, right? And on the military side of the house, this is what resonates with me. So Marine by trade, a bunch of other fun things, contractor and some other stuff post. But every place I've ever been service-wise, at least in the Marine Corps, and I know some of the other sister services resonate with this a little bit, 
you know, we, we have our, our hierarchy, right. In the military we have, for me, I did a lot of work more at the, the squad level for what I did early on. So when I go forward, it was usually at the squad or maybe at the platoon level. So at the very lower echelons of the groupings of things, even down to the smaller group of fire team. But the funny part was at, at the company level, multiple platoons, multiple squads within a platoon, most of the platoons had their own mascot or their own slogan, their own grouping. Yes. Right. Yeah. And. We had the leadership teams, just like any corporate entity. You have your branch, your divisions, and so on and so forth all the way up. And you get down into those smaller teaming environments where the trusted relationship at the tech side of the house is within that platoon or even squad level. And they build their own logo. They build their own brand, their own mentality, what it means to do the job they're supposed to be doing. The leadership team within that structure, that platoon, brings that mentality up to the company level or wherever the next echelon may be. And they get to bridge the gap. And then we have our company identity as a, as a military mm -hmm. unit. That's a whole separate thing, right? So, you know, however you want to do it. But we have logos. We have branding for us in our units that we worked in. You know, all the way down in some cases, even one of my fire teams, we had our own shirt and our own hoodie and all this other stinking idiotic stuff that we did because it was fun. But it helped us culturally be significant for one another. It helped us grow together and have our brand of who we thought we were and what we were bringing to the table. So I just love that. I love the approach, you know, whether it's a small sticker, whether it's a T-shirt, whether it's a coffee mug that says, you know, zero trust engineering crew, whatever it may be, you know, that that's impactful and it resonates a lot with people and people want to be a part of something, whether we admit it or so for those of us who are antisocial by whatever means that may be or introverts, there's still a lingering aspect of our psyche that wants to know we did something useful for somebody else and having something as simple as a sticker ironically enough, goes a long way for a lot of people for that cultural impact. So anyway, I just thought that was fun, fun piece to add. Well, thank you guys. This, 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 this has been so much fun. I, I, I to totally appreciate the conversation. So yeah, thanks for having me on. All right. So we are towards the end of the hour. So we just want to quickly sum things up and then kind of go off on our way. So real quick, George, where can folks find Project Zero Trust? And where can they learn a little bit more about maybe future books that you're working on? Well, Project Zero Trust is available anywhere fine books are sold. You, you can get them on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target. Also, again, don't sleep on the audiobook. It's really good. So audible.com or, or amazon.com for, for the audiobook. So, so definitely check it out there. Also, you know, visit my website, wellawaresecurity.com. Perfect. So thank you so much for that. We're definitely going to, in the recap notes, we'll point people towards that personality quiz. Personally, I want to check that out. That seems very interesting. And as someone who has now read this book, and I can obviously recommend this, I will gladly be putting this out as I'm going to, I'll, I'll throw a few out there to our listeners. Oh, um, so as we kind of get that out there, just a heads up, if you're listening to this, I'll figure out exactly how we do that. But I'll also put out that audiobook too, because I got to figure out which Walking Dead actor that is. I used so, to like that show. Maybe not so much now, but. 100th um, viewer on, on Spotify listener gets a <laughs> 2000th listener on, on Apple. Yeah, there you go. We'll figure out the constraints and I'll put it out there. But anyways, George, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. And we will uh, we'll definitely bring you back in for some future conversations. Thank you for joining AZT, an independent series. Your hosts have been Elliot Volkman and Neil Dennis. To learn more about Zero Trust, go to AdoptingZeroTrust.com. Subscribe to our newsletter or join our Slack community. Viewpoints expressed during the show do not reflect the brands, employers, or companies of our hosts, guests, or potential sponsors.